All right. So today's uh, guys only study, we're going to be talking about effective accountability. So the last two times we've done this, we talked about idols of the heart, how that's the root of our sins. Second session we had, we talked about why God hates sexual sin specifically, since that's kind of the thing that a lot of guys are beset by. So today we're going to talk about effective accountability. There were some questions about this last time, so I thought it'd be worth going over uh, with some Bible behind it. Um, what is accountability? Why does it often fail when guys get together and try it? And what can we do to uh, have uh, accountability that actually works, that promotes holiness in our lives, that uh, kills our sin or helps kill our sin? So first, what is accountability? Let me give a uh, definition. I homebrewed this definition. Uh, I think it's what a lot of people mean by it, but I think having a definition helps us keep in mind the different component parts because often what goes wrong in accountability is that you don't define what you're there for, what you're trying to accomplish. We kind of think we know what, we, what it means. So here's the definition. Accountability or an accountability partner or partners or group is a discipleship relationship oriented around holding one another responsible to our pursuit of holiness in every area of life. A discipleship relationship oriented around holding one another responsible for pursuing holiness in every area of life. So in that definition, I first, I, I call it a discipleship relationship because that's what it is. Now you can have a discipleship relationship with someone in which you aren't pursuing each other's uh, sin problems in the same way that you would in one that you are adding this level of accountability to. Now any discipleship relationship should involve at some level you calling one another to repent of your sin, to pursue holiness, um, to strive to conform your minds, your lives to the image of Christ. That should be involved in every discipleship relationship at some level. But often when we get together and call something accountability, either accountability partners or groups, we are saying that that this person, I, I'm, I'm giving them uh, room in, in, in my head to to say hard things to me, and I'm, I'm preparing myself beforehand to receive those things well. That's kind of the maybe the difference. If you're just meeting with some guys for Bible study, it might come up. You're, you're going through a text, you're talking about the use of the text, and you're like, you come, you know, Holy Spirit convicts you of some sin through the study of the text, and you confess it to the guys, and then they have a responsibility in that moment to to care for you, to restore you, to, uh, if necessary, call you to repentance. Um, but that might happen more spontaneously in that situation where 
with accountability groups or partners, you tend to go into it expecting that to happen. And if it's not happening, then it's not accountability. You're not talking about, hey, let's help each other kill sin in our lives. Let's intentionally meet together to talk about the things that beset us, the things that we struggle with and against, and help one another to put those things to death. That's the difference if there is one. Now, I think discipleship relationships should head in that direction, and that keeping it surface level isn't what we should be doing. So in some ways, it's a distinction without a difference, but I wanted to give a definition um, so you know what I'm talking about. So there's a couple of uh, Bible verses that give the uh, commands to, to do this kind of discipleship with one another. James chapter 5 is one that comes to mind. Now the context, to be fair, is about a particular situation that James is dealing with. Um, so I'll read the context, but the application that we can make from it can be used in, in, to establish accountability as, as a thing that we should do. James chapter 5 starts in verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So, um, the context here is about sick people in the church, but their sickness seems to have been brought about by sins that have beset them, unconfessed sin in their lives. And, and uh, if you're not familiar with it, you are now that uh, the guilt of your conscience can affect you physically. It's a thing. That's either, either that was happening or uh, it was unrepentant sin and it was judgment from God that was making these people sick. One of those things were happening. So James calls them to confess their sins to one another and to pray for one another. Now, it says that you may be healed. So, in in the context in which James is speaking, that's a there is a real physical sickness going on. And again, um, it could be just a suppression of guilt, uh, or not suppression of guilt, but intense feelings of guilt that have been led to actual physical sickness, which that, that's a thing that can happen if you haven't experienced it. Uh, good. <laughs> I have. Um, or, again, it could have been judgment related. Either way, uh, the guilt of the conscience can be alleviated in confession of sin. Now, that's not um, to say that confession saves the person. It doesn't. Um, not, not confessing to another person. That's not salvific in any way. But rather, this is a, a, a model of, of living with one another, caring for one another, involves confession of sin and prayer 
Then he continues, um, gives an example of Elijah and his prayers. And then verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, again, it's not saying that this person has saved this person in the way that Jesus saves the person. Rather, he's brought him back to the truth, um, back to Christ. And in that sense, a multitude of sins can indeed be covered. Um, repentance and turning back to Christ, it covers your sins. Christ is sufficient. Um, but again, there, there's a, an implication here that you know when someone's wandering from the truth. And that you are striving to bring people back. And, and every time that we fall into, especially besetting sins, these sins that, that cling closely, that uh, are habitual in our lives, those kinds of sins require brothers who will drag you back, requires prayer, requires um, confessing your sins to one another. That's, that's how we deal with those kinds of sins. Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, another text. Verse 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So here we have a, a how to manual of sorts on restoration of someone who is caught in sin they're ensnared it's not that they got caught doing it it's that they are caught up in it they're trapped so you who are spiritual now this is going to come into play this text when i come back to it in one of my points later but he means that the person who isn't caught in that sin you are spiritual to restore him in a spirit of gentleness it doesn't mean that you you know, put on your kid gloves and, and just pander to the person's sin. Um, but you are gentle, understanding, sympathetic with their situation, properly so. And then to keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Proverbs eighteen seventeen says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Now, what does that have to do with anything? Well, um, if you don't have people in your life that you are sharing things with, that you are talking about your life with, you will construct a narrative about how your life is going that might not be true. We're always telling ourselves stories about ourselves, about how what our life is like and how it's going. And we need people to examine that narrative, that playbook that we're running in our heads because we can run ourselves in off the rails, off the path, into the dirt, if we're not careful, by constructing a, a false view of the world in our head of ourselves, false view of ourselves, false view of God, a false view of the people around us. It's easy to do. It's incredibly easy to do. And so having someone who can examine you, who can cross-examine the claims that you're making about yourself, about God, and about the world is vitally important, but no one's going to know that unless they're close enough to you and you share it with them. 
So those verses there, I think, imply uh, a need for this kind of accountability. But often in my own life and experience and uh, hearing from others, accountability fails. People have accountability groups or partners and they find themselves still stuck in whatever sin that they created the group for. Um, people in this you know, server have requested that we have this and I have repeatedly shot it down. And I want to uh, explain my reasoning a bit more, but also give a positive account of of what an accountability group or accountability partners w would really consist of, what they would do for one another, and how you can have, again, effective accountability. So here's the first reason why accountability often fails. You have an accountability partner, singular, instead of partners, plural. Now these, this list is ranked from least significant to most significant. So this isn't always the reason, and you can have effective accountability with just two people. However, I think it is wise, but not necessary, to have accountability with more than two, but I would say no more than three or four. Um, and I think something like Ecclesiastes 4.12, for example. Although uh, a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So you have this progression here where uh, a man comes against another man and, and he might win that fight. But if you got two jumping one guy, he's probably not going to win that fight unless he's you know some kind of professional ninja or something. I don't know. Um, but if you got three guys jumping one dude, that's, that, that's a hard thing to deal with. So let's make us, you know, take, take the physical application of, of the text and, and bring it to a spiritual application, the warfare against our sin. You as a, as a, your sin is beset against you and you are in warfare with it. And if you fight alone, your sin's probably going to prevail. If you have two, you can probably withstand it. You got three guys coming at your sin together. That's not easily broken. That's not easily prevailed against. There's a lot of reasons I think this is good. One is it, it avoids having a, a mutual just vomit bubble between the two of you. Um, if both of you lose your minds one week, you've got a third guy who probably hasn't who can straighten both of you out um that because that can happen um bringing in a third perspective a third set of life experiences a third set of sanctif uh, sanctified years however many the third guy has is helpful um the matthew 18 discipline pattern while i don't think accountability partnership is is a, dis a church discipline issue it indicates um insofar as it uh, has these multiple lines of examination and attestation that having these multiple angles um, is is helpful in bringing people to repentance and that's the goal here 
is to bring a full-blown wholesale repentance of the sin, to put it to death, to mortify it, to kill it, and having the more the merrier, basically. Uh, now, you have too many people. I say that and then qualify it. You have too many people. Uh, you, you might end up where you never get to actually talk about your sin in a meaningful way or deal with it in the time that you might have together. And that's why I say you're, you're pushing it at three to four, just in terms of respecting people's time and being able to, to talk in a meaningful way about each other's lives. So that's the first one, that you just, it might be failing because you don't have enough people fighting together. Second thing, uh, why it often fails, is you don't meet often enough. You don't meet often enough. Now I recommend, depending on the situation and the direness of it, start at once per week and then adjust based on the needs of, of people in the group. Um, but I would say if, if you're not meeting once a week, you're probably not meeting often enough. I know accountability groups that I've been a part of in the past, that I know of in the past, that met once a month. A lot happens in a month. And it's going to be hard if you meet for an hour and you've got four, three to four people in that group to share everything that's gone on, to be able to talk about it in, in a meaningful fashion in one hour. Now you can keep up with each other. You know, there, there's ways to deal with this. Maybe you can't meet together more often than every other week or once a month. But you can hop in a group text and check in with each other throughout the week. You could do that. I think that would be okay. Or you have, you know, different people assigned to call each other. There's ways to do it. But the, the overarching point is that you have frequent enough contact with each other that someone doesn't slip through the cracks and from the last time you met to the next time you met their whole life fell apart and no one knew about it that's the thing that meeting often avoids you can pick up on things you can figure out what's going on with people and you can have uh meaningful interactions that uh, helps you you deal with stuff the third way that it often fails is that you both, um, if you have a partner or just all of you together, you formed an accountability group based upon the sin that you were beset by. So this was the main thing that I argued last time, that uh, you don't form a group to get rid of meth addiction out of, out of three meth addicts. You don't do that. You can't help each other. So if all of you are beset by the same sin, unless, for example, use pornography, which is very common to, to young men, as you all are aware, if you make an accountability group out of three or four guys or two guys or whatever, and that's the main reason you form it, is to try to hold one each, each other accountable to fighting your sexual sin, but you're both enslaved by it, that's... That's not going to be as helpful for you it, uh, if, if you did the alternative, which would be to come together with people who are not beset by it. Now, let's say two out of the four of you guys in your group are beset by it. You could work with that. But if you just have one partner, one accountability partner, 
and you guys come together because you're both dealing with it and he's the only person you've told and you're the only person he's told about this sin that's a recipe for disaster and destruction that's mutually assured destruction most of the time now god can be gracious <laughs> in the midst of that i think very grievous error in in judgment um but again going to someone who is beset by the same thing and asking them to help you with it when they can't sort it out on themselves either is not going to work out well most of the time. If you go with some uh, someone who is mired in the same muck, you'll only be able to keep each other afloat, but you won't be able to drag each other to shore. So you'll probably maintain a status quo. Every time you come together, it's like, yeah, man, I messed up again. Yeah, man, I messed up again. But hey, I made it, you know, a week. Yeah, I did too. All right. High five. We're making progress. And then that's the same conversation you have for a year. That's that's no good. That's not effective accountability. Fourthly, fourth point, the Bible isn't used. Another reason why accountability fails. I've been in groups in the past where they got together, they talked about their sin, they prayed for each other, but they never cracked open a Bible to deal with each other's sin. It's the word of God that sanctifies us. Uh, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prays that the Father would sanctify them by his truth, and his word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Um, other texts that I could go to demonstrate that. The Spirit of God uses the means of the Word of God to bring, that's his primary means, his ordinary means of bringing sanctification in our lives. Obviously, other things bring sanctification, like our circumstances, trials, different things of that nature. But the ordinary means that we can throw ourselves in front of is, is uh, one of those is, is God's Word. And God's word being used in communion with other believers. And so an accountability group that isn't using the Bible is not going to be an effective one. The solution to your sin problems are found in God's word. If you don't know your Bibles and you don't use your Bibles, you're not going to get far in fighting your sin. Fifth point, accountability groups can often fail because of maturity differences. If you're dealing with someone that, that uh, dealing with a, uh, not someone, but something, uh, a sin that you've been stuck in for years, maybe even decades, um, then uh, going to someone who is largely inexperienced with dealing with such issues is probably not going to help. I'm not saying that you need to go to like some kind of therapist, but I am saying that you should go to a more mature Christian that you know is a more mature Christian. Typically, that's going to be an older one. Not always, but it, typically it will be. Um, Titus 2 kind of shows us a pattern for this. Uh, it says, But as for you, teach what of course is sound doctrine. Talking to Titus. Paul talking to Titus. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And they, they are to be that way. And then skipping out of verse six, he says, likewise, urge the young men, the younger men. Now the likewise there up above, 
um, he, he instructed the older women to train the younger women in a certain way. So likewise, these older men from the first, from verse two, um, are to join Titus in urging the younger men to be self-controlled. And that's the issue that a lot of young men are struggling with when they struggle with pornography, when they're enslaved to pornography. They lack all self-control, usually in every area of their life, and it's just showing up in that area. And, and so teaching them and instructing them by their example to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sounded, faith and love and steadfastness. If you find an older man that has those qualities, ask him to help you. If he's your father, then that's awesome. If he's not, find a spiritual father in the faith. Go to your church, find an old man, tap him on the shoulder, get to know him. If he's exhibiting those qualities, say, hey, I need your help. I am beset by sin, and provided that you're not in this same sin, can you please help me? And if he is exhibiting those qualities, he is likely going to say yes. So having a, 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 a maturity gap between you and the people that you're in a group with, it doesn't have to be as significant as you know 50 years of, of Christian living or anything like that. And it doesn't even have to be age difference. But having people in your accountability circle, uh, if it's a group, if it's a partner, whatever it is, um, who has is more mature than you are in the faith, is going to help you a lot. And the last reason why accountability groups often fail is a lack of honesty and straightforward speech. And this is not just often fail. If this is not present, it will fail. It is guaranteed to fail. You do not have genuine accountability. Going back to my definition, you don't have a discipleship relationship oriented around holding one another responsible for pursuing holiness in every area of life if you lack honesty and straightforward speech with one another. And notice I didn't say just honesty, but also straightforward speech. What I mean by that is you can be technically honest, but not straightforward in what you said. Yeah, man, I've been struggling this week. Well, with what? Struggling with what? And how badly? So you've been honest. You've confessed something. But if there's no follow-up or if, if you don't speak in a more straightforward fashion, the other people cannot help you at all. They will not be able to minister the word of God in a specific way to what you're struggling with. They will not be able to pray with you and uh, pray for you in a specific way. They will not be, be able to provide any kind of counsel or wisdom. They will not be able to call you to repenting of specific sins if you just give a, yeah, man, I've been struggling, been having a hard time, and then you leave it at that. You can be honest with someone. So, alternative situation, you do say and admit, confess your sin in a straightforward fashion, and they respond with pandering or easing your conscience in your sin. They think that you beat yourself up too bad in the way that you said it. So they go, "Hey man, you're not that bad of a guy. Don't 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 take it too hard." 
that's wrong as well. Again, they're not speaking in a straightforward manner with you. You need to have mutual honesty and mutual straightforward speech. If you tell me your sin, I need to be honest with you in return and in a straightforward manner tell you of your need to repent and of the grace to be found in Christ. Remember the Galatians text about restoring people in a spirit of gentleness. You've got to you got to talk to people about the gospel as well. The gospel is not just the solution to our initial sin problem, but it's also the means of grace that God gives to us uh, in our sin struggles, in our warfare against our sin that is ongoing, our sanctification. It is a mighty weapon to be wielded. So is the law of God, wielded rightly, a mighty weapon to be wielded against our sin. But what I can't do is maneuver around saying that or pander to your feelings to keep the peace between us. Part of what is entailed in accountability is acknowledging that we sharpen each other by clashing in conflict at some level. Doesn't mean we're yelling at each other. Doesn't mean we're even angry at each other. But you attack my sin and I attack yours. If we take that personally, we won't be able to have effective accountability. But if we don't do it at all, we also won't have effective accountability. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Flattery is a sin. Pandering is a sin. Easing someone's conscience when it does not need to be eased is a sin. Not easing someone's conscience when it should be eased is also a sin. (laughs) There are some people who are morbidly introspective and think that they're guilty of things that aren't sins or think they're guilty of sins they haven't committed. Again, be honest with those people. Speak in a straightforward way. Brother, you didn't sin. And you feel guilty about it, but you don't need to be. Now make sure you're right before you say that. But that, those kinds of things need to be said as well. And then also, brother, you've sinned. Your sin is grievous. Christ's grace is sufficient. Repent and believe the gospel. And I'm speaking in a shorthanded way. Obviously, you don't just throw around the sayings like that. There's context. One of the ways to create this in your accountability group is to ask questions with specificity. For example, one of the ways that I will sometimes do it, um, and I learned this from uh, an effective group I was a part of, say, hey, um, once we figure out what each other's besetting sins are, let's say that I'm talking with a young man who Uh, habitually uses pornography through his phone. Um, That's his most often point of access. And he uses it on, you know, he has a, a habit of using it on a weekly basis. So I'll say, brother, this week, did you access pornography through your phone? That's a specific question, not Hey, have you been struggling with porn this week? Because struggling with, he could get around and ease his conscience and lie to you 
by because let's say he didn't struggle at all. He just succumbed, full cell, just hauled out and dove right in. And there wasn't a struggle. So he justifies lying to you by saying, no, I haven't. See, that that kind of question can be weaseled around and you can weasel your way around it and and it won't burden your conscience as much. Now, hopefully it still will and you'll recognize what you've done. But there's ways around that. Asking questions with specificity, if they decide to lie to you, will pretty much guarantee that they're going to feel bad about it. If they're a Christian, especially. And the Spirit of God will use that guilt Lord willing, to bring them to repentance. So I, w- I could ask that kind of question. And then I could follow it up with, did you just lie to me? So I give him an opportunity, if he did, to change his answer. And if he lied to me, and then he says that he did, and he apologizes, I forgive him right then, I don't bring it up again. And then we talk about the actual sin issue on the table so you can do uh, things like that there's ways to ask questions with specificity now if you get too specific there's ways to weasel around it so let's say that he accessed pornography through his uh, computer that week and not through his phone so he says no very heartily to my question So I need to have other questions if I know that he has other devices. So I can say, did you access pornography through any electronic device this week? Or through any medium at all? And notice I said access, because he may have looked, but didn't conclude all of his sin. That is often entailed in the looking. Maybe that's what he did. So if I just ask him more generally, um, hey, did you, you know, have any struggles with sexual stuff this week? Uh, no. Nah, everything's fine. Or he might say, yeah, I was tempted. And so he takes looking and pulling it up. He calls that being tempted, right? So you, you can see how people can maneuver in order to hide their sin. And these kinds of sins want to be hidden. And so you do him a favor by being specific, by asking good questions, and you, you shape the questions around the person's sin. Whatever it is that, they're, that they are coming to you and saying, I want you to hold account- me accountable to fighting and putting to death these particular sins. And then you need to know how to respond when he does say, yeah, I did do that this week. You need to follow up questions. What happened? How did you fall into it? What were you doing? Because you guys have probably set up barriers in your life. What barriers did you cross? Why did you, and, and help him sort through that. Help him figure it out. If you just go, man, that stinks. I'm sorry. Let me pray for you. That you're not helping him deal with it. And he's probably going to come back every week and say the same thing. 
So that last one is really, I think, the most important one. Uh, and without it, you, you don't have real accountability. Honesty and speaking in a straightforward manner with one another. And that's about it. So effective accountability. Accountability being a discipleship relationship oriented around holding one another responsible for pursuing holiness in every area of life. It often fails because there's not enough people involved. It often fails because we don't meet often enough. It often fails uh, because we get a bunch of meth addicts together and try to help each other get over our meth addiction. Uh, we, we, we get together with people who are enslaved to the exact same thing and we just wallow. It often fails because we don't use God's word. We don't unsheath our swords to go to war. It often fails because there's uh, a general lack of Christian maturity within the group. And lastly, it will fail if we do not have honesty, straightforward speech with one another. And you can't stop someone from lying to you. And you have to trust God to deal with them. If you suspect it, like I said, you can ask, hey, did you lie to me? And if they continue to lie, you have to trust God to deal with it. Can't, can't worry about it. All right. Well, brothers, that is all I have. We'll stop here. And be done.